0: You are listening to The Conversation here on member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. I'm Catherine Cruz, and I'm happy because I'm joined in the studio uh, by Dr. Kathleen Kozak of The Body Show. She's going to help take your questions today. Good morning. Happy to be here. (laughs) Yeah, thank you so much for coming in uh, on this holiday.
1: (laughs) Nice to have a holiday, but even better to really start to educate folks, you know, and really get, we need to get on the coronavirus Task Vaccination to really help the rest of our state. Remember when we used to say flatten the curve? Yes, I know. Mm. And the and the cases today, yikes.
0: Well, you know, you've joined us at different points uh, throughout this health and economic crisis. Back in May, just as the summer was starting, the vaccines were becoming readily available. The case counts were going down. Things were opening up. But it's different now. There's 845 new cases just today, according to the state health department.
1: Well, and in the last two to three weeks, we've really seen significant rises in the numbers. And we're seeing a lot of folks who are being hospitalized. In fact, I think we've crossed the, the threshold of where we had the highest number of cases in the hospital last August. We're seeing more people getting admitted and that's becoming a problem. A lot of the medical centers are noting that the ICUs are filling up and the hospitals are having to stop elective procedures and really take those precautions that we all planned for last year and luckily didn't have to implement now we're looking at starting to implement those emergency procedures, and it's, it's only going to get worse if we don't get the counts down.
0: Right, and, uh, you know, you're with Hawaii Pacific Health. Um, you have watched your colleagues deal with this. Uh, you know, w- when we were very scared and you know, all those triage tents went up, uh, and then they took them down, but they're back up again.
1: They're back up because they need to be. You know, we had this unique moment when back in June or so, everybody was feeling a lot better. We were having vaccination clinics. We were having fewer people come to the emergency room. We were having less cases in the hospital. And, you know, it's almost like we took our guard down in a way. So now we're back at these high numbers of cases and all those tents came back up. And in fact, other emergency procedures are going on behind the scenes. People are starting to look at whether or not we need to consider having other locations for patients and working on trying to really help keep the hospitals available for the types of emergencies nobody can really predict, the heart attacks, the strokes, the car accidents, the other types of emergency reasons people come to the hospital.
0: Yeah, and a lot of folks are, you know, have been very nervous about getting the vaccines. Uh, You know, some people are maybe waiting on the FDA approval, uh, you know, to get it. Uh, we did talk to Judy Donovan, the Director of Marketing and Strategic Planning at the Kona Community Hospital um, earlier this month. Here's what she had to say about that.
2: As soon as the Pfizer
3: is has full FDA approval, we're going to mandate it for our staff members. So I had one of my employees reach out, and he he asked when that was going to be the full approval. And I told him, you know, generally, I don't know. I think it's going to be in the fall, but I trust the FDA and I think you can too. And he literally, that's all it took to turn him. He said, "I'm if it's going to be approved this year by the FDA, that's good for me and I'm going to go ahead and set an appointment.
1: So what are you hearing about when we're going to get this authorization? Well, I suspect it's going to be. I've heard a variety of people say, you know, before the end of August, I think, you know, President Biden had said by Labor Day. The key point is that, The FDA is gonna approve the vaccine. The vaccine is the same as it was when it first came out. If you're waiting for FDA approval, the actual date it gets approved doesn't change the constituent parts of the vaccination. You don't have to wait. It's going to be FDA approved. And if that's that little extra piece of security people are waiting for, please balance that with your risk of potential infection. And if you really wanna wait for that, then stay home, keep yourself out of crowds, wear your mask, socially distance, the cases that we're seeing these days tend to be from, there's a cl- cluster reports that come out from the Department of Health, and they tend to be from gatherings. And you know, how many times have people said, oh, well, these are my friends, I know they're okay. I'm gonna go and spend some time with them and small groups of people or or slightly larger groups, but within the legal limits of less than 25. And because somebody there doesn't feel sick yet, then they happen to be infected and now the infection spreads throughout that small group. You know, if you're vaccinated, you have a much lower risk of developing any serious infections requiring hospitalization. So if all you're waiting for is the FDA to put the rubber stamp on it, you know, it's going to be the same vaccine this week as it is next week as it is the week it's FDA approved. That's that's a choice someone might make, but. Consider that it will be approved, and if you were to get the shot today, you could avoid any potential problems while you're waiting for that official stamp of approval. And I remember when
0: uh, the vaccines were just made available, you know, there was a rush. People wanted to, you know, get in there and were waiting their turn because, you know, we had to give the healthcare workers, you know, first priority, our first responders, uh, and then they opened it up, you know, with hotel workers uh, and, and, and so on. Uh, and then I, I was surprised that then there was this lag. You know, I mean, we're at 61% as far as uh, vaccinations in the state. Um, you know, and then we've got the news about the uh, the booster shots. Uh, but, you know, we're hearing lots about the booster shots and the breakthrough cases. Uh, we did have a couple of listeners call in with their questions about this.
3: My name is Dana Andershot. I'm calling from the island of Maui. And my question is... I noticed that on the news were given how many people are diagnosed with COVID and are in the hospital, and how many had vaccination and how many did not. Now, I know that people that have been vaccinated can contact COVID. I am 85, my husband's 91, and what status are the people who had vaccinations and were admitted to the hospital due to COVID, and for what? Do they have compromised immune systems? Were they just old? What age were
0: they at? You know, i just like to know that because I don't know whether to be really scared
3: just because we have our vaccinations, but we are old, or it doesn't make any difference in the world. Thank you. Aloha. Hi, my name is Mary. I'm calling from Puna on the Big Island, and I wanted to know when I would get a booster shot and how I would do that. My last injection of the Pfizer vaccine was in March of this year, 2021. Thank you so much, bye for now.
1: So yeah, lots of folks wondering about those booster shots. Well, I think the most important thing to recognize is that if you haven't yet been vaccinated, there's plenty of vaccine available for you. And then the second part is, this is really an evolving picture. For those people who have immunocompromised situations, the reason they were recommended to get a booster shot first is because studies have shown that they don't develop the same immunity as you or I would with just two shots. So they may need a third shot to get the same immunity as we have. Now, the next part that comes up is studies so far have shown that after about six to eight months, the efficacy of the vaccination goes down a bit. There are some studies from Israel, there are some studies from the Mayo Clinic, and all of those are looking at the potential that after a certain point in time, the efficacy does go down. Originally, it was 95% for the second, two weeks after the second Pfizer shot, 94.1% after the Moderna shot, and now we're seeing that you know, six to eight months later, and this is the time when a lot of healthcare workers and elderly had been vaccinated, was January of last year, December, January, February, that now we're looking at booster shots. So the current guidelines from the CDC are looking at eight months after your second dose as the potential time when you could get a booster shot. And so far, it's been stated that Around September 20th or so, they're going to start offering the booster shots for anybody who's eight months or more from their previous vaccination, and that's going to be on a rolling basis. So those who got vaccinated in March or April or May add eight months, and then that's when you might want to get a booster shot. And I know they were talking about making it available uh, initially
0: just for those with autoimmune, uh, you know, diseases uh, uh, that were more susceptible, um, you know, to, to getting ill. I had a friend who. Has uh, was getting treatment for psoriasis, uh, and he called and said, "Oh, I was able to get a shot in you know in New York, and on the first day when they offered it." Um, so, uh, but yeah, there, there's uh, lots of folks who who have health issues that would be in line for those,
1: or they take medications. So there's some great medicines for psoriasis and other skin conditions that are called biologics, and so because those particular medicines do have a tendency to reduce the immune system's ability to fight off things. In the case of psoriasis, it's trying to help the immune system not fight itself, thus the skin plaques. But in that situation, they never achieved the maximum immunity from two shots. So they're recommended to get a third shot. And that's just to get them to the regular level of immunity as somebody who doesn't have that condition or isn't on that medication. So that was the true intent of targeting that population first. Well, the state health uh, department says that
0: 0.2% of the cases that they are tracking, are, they're called breakthrough cases, and the majority, uh, over 90% of the hospitalizations in Hawaii are still unvaccinated people. Uh, health officials are concerned uh, that number might not hold. Here's U.S. Surgeon General Dr. Vivek Murthy in a White House press briefing that we had just on Wednesday.
2: Having reviewed the most current data, it is now our clinical judgment that the time to lay out a plan for COVID-19 boosters is now. Recent data makes clear that protection against mild and moderate disease has decreased over time. This is likely due to both waning immunity and the strength of the widespread Delta variant. Even though this new data affirms that vaccine protection remains high against the worst outcomes of COVID, we are concerned that this pattern of decline we are seeing will continue in the months ahead, which could lead to reduced protection against severe disease, hospitalization, and death. That is why today we are announcing our plan to stay ahead of this virus by being prepared to offer COVID-19 booster shots to fully vaccinated adults 18 years and older. They would be eligible for their booster shot eight months after receiving their second dose of the Pfizer or Moderna mRNA vaccines. We plan to start this program the week of September 20th, 2021. I want to be very clear. This plan is pending the FDA conducting an independent evaluation of the safety and effectiveness of the third dose of the Pfizer and Moderna mRNA vaccines, and the CDC's Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, issuing booster dose recommendations based on a thorough review of the evidence.
0: And the state health department issued a medical advisory yesterday recommending third doses only for immune-compromised individuals. Um, I don't know, what, what are you hearing and seeing over there at Ahoy Pacific Health?
1: Well, you know, I'm hearing a lot of folks who are in the older age groups for whom it has been almost eight months since they've received their vaccination, and they're all wondering if they qualify as immunocompromised. And, you know, there are some specific recommendations on who that would be. Chemotherapy patients, people who are on certain biologic medications, people with autoimmune diseases. These are the folks that may not have achieved the level of immunity you want from the two shots alone. So those are being targeted to get that booster shot initially. But I do think that as time goes on, we're going to need to give people an extra booster shot. And as it was just mentioned, sometime in the second or third week of September, that'll be offered to anybody eight months after their initial shot. You know, I know there's a concern about the safety, but when you think about it, if people have gotten the first two vaccinations and people have been fine, then getting a third dose, which is going to boost their immunity back to where it was a few months ago, really shouldn't impart any other additional risk.
0: And, you know, uh, I I think uh, uh, folks... You know, want to find out more, and, and but lots of people are waiting for that FDA full approval. Uh, if that comes before Labor Day, you know, that's just a, a couple weeks here, uh, you know, to wait.
1: We're not talking a long period of time. And part of that is in response to what's going on nationwide. You know, locally here, we're seeing our hospitals fill up, our ICUs fill up. Nationwide, people are saying that different states have significant rates of hospitalization. And it's it's actually in a younger group of people. So we do know that the initial older individuals who were vaccinated, we're not seeing that they are the people getting the most significant disease. We're seeing that those folks don't necessarily have the highest number of hospitalizations. The people who we're seeing get in the hospital tend to be younger, and now we're seeing kids get hospitalized as well. So we really are seeing a change in the flow of the average age group of people who are being hospitalized. For people who want to know the best way to prevent having that happen, really, it's to consider getting vaccinated. That's really really the best way to avoid being stuck in a hospital on a ventilator and potentially in the hospital for up to four weeks, if not longer. If you're just joining the conversation,
0: we're talking about the Delta variant, this latest surge, and we're talking about vaccines. Our guest is Dr. Uh, Kathleen Kozak, and we would like to hear your thoughts too. Uh, give us a call here at 941-3689 or one 941 3689 from the Neighbor Islands. Uh, we do have a call, Christine from Eva Beach. What's on your mind?
3: Aloha. Hi. Um, I'm a teacher, a public school teacher, and my question is, um, with the Delta variant being so much more contagious, um, I've heard it spread similarly to chicken pox where you can infect maybe up to nine people, um, I'm wondering why the public schools, you know, our rules as far as defining a close contact have not changed. From the the original strain. So that's like the 15 minutes within uh, a 24 hour period of being near um, a patient diagnosed with COVID, as well as um, actually the distancing rule has decreased since last year. It used to be six feet, now it's three feet when possible, and most of our classrooms are only, you know, we have students one to two feet apart.
1: Well, that's a really good question. And you know, first, I give you credit because you are one of the heroes that I think are often not recognized. You are one of the teachers. And the important part of that is you've put yourself on the line to go ahead in front of a classroom of students and really try your best to make this school year one that's educationally successful. And that is not an easy task. So I am already in admiration of all the teachers out there who have really just tried their best to follow all the guidelines. Now, the CDC had done an analysis of the six feet versus three feet and that was at a different time so you're right the delta variant has been considered more contagious more recent studies have shown it's probably not as bad as chickenpox with the numbers of potential cases that you could give it to in a small close quarters but it is still more contagious than than earlier so i know that there are some clear concerns of what to do and there. The best we can do at this point is take a look at the research and so far we want to keep kids safe. I think kids wearing masks in schools is something that Hawaii has highly encouraged if not mandated and teachers wearing masks and getting vaccinated is also another way to protect yourself. I think that there have been outbreaks in some areas where kids have not been wearing masks and that's been on the mainland and honestly we're seeing in those particular locations that there are more kids getting hospitalized. The hardest part for for a lot of folks is going to be kids wearing a mask in a classroom. And I give you credit again because you're going to have to police that in a way in your classroom with the students and you know, you can't wear it under your nose. You can't wear it in a way that isn't tight fitting to your face. So that's a really difficult uh, thing for you to have to do. I would encourage parents to also tell their kids, please wear your mask at school to make your job as a teacher just a little bit easier. Because if the parents are saying it and you're saying it, then hopefully that will make it easier for you. And in addition, lower the rates of transmission amongst the students. The other key aspect is, you know, students, when they're not in school and, you know, the bell rings and they all run outside, if they all take their mask off and they're all clustering together that's not a good scenario so you know trying your best to limit eliminate the exposure in the classroom you can't control what happens when when the kids are out of that classroom and out of your direct line of sight so the the current guidelines for 3 feet were based on a previous recommendations on doing studies looking at probably a less contagious variant or a less contagious covid But we may have to look at that. And I know that the Department of Health and the CDC are carefully watching the rates of transmission in schools as a lot more schools across the U.S. have opened up. But thank you for your hard work.
0: Yes. uh, You know, just know that our hearts are, are there with you because you are out there, you know, with our children and during this very difficult time when a lot of those children cannot get vaccinated uh, and, you know, I, I don't know what you're seeing at Kapilani, um Women's and Children's Center. You know, the, the numbers have gone up.
1: They have gone up. It's kids getting admitted, but also it's pregnant women who are also getting admitted. And Kapilani is a women and children's hospital. So we are seeing a younger rate of people with who are getting exposed and getting COVID and we do see higher rates of children getting infected and not everybody who gets infected is going to wind up being hospitalized there were some fairly good data early on to suggest that kids do relatively well if they have exposure to COVID unless they have other comorbidities or other medical conditions but that's doesn't mean that it's for everybody and you know there's always that five out of 100 might have complications and you never want to be one of those five so that's really the harder part of it we do see that the kids come home to big families and you know it may be the grandparents or the uncle who didn't get vaccinated so if the kids bring the vaccine home to their family members or they not the vaccine if they bring the infection home to their family members then that could actually lead to other family members getting exposed and getting sick. So it's not just the child, it's also the community of people around them. And that becomes really important because that's sort of how we're starting to see some of the spread.
0: Yeah, you talk about um, moms, you know, uh, we talked with uh, Dr. Uh, Menjin Lee. She's the Chief of Maternal Fetal Medicine at University Health Partners of Hawaii. And she says she gets lots of questions from her patients about the vaccines when it comes to fertility. Uh, here's what she had to say.
3: One of my patients today asked me, "Oh, well, you know, I have I've got a daughter who's 14 years old. Do I want to give her the vaccine? Because what if the vaccine attacks her ovaries?" And so, to try to help dispel that fear, we know that different viruses attack different organs in the body. For example, when we had Zika a few years back, we knew that Zika was attacking baby brains because. It's considered a neurotropic virus, so it likes to attack nerve cells. We also know, for instance, mumps attack the gonads or the sexual organs, so it can give you inflammation of the testicles, okay, or ovaries. However, in the year and a half that COVID's been around, there's been no reports of COVID virus attacking testicles or ovaries And so it's very highly unlikely that COVID infection or COVID vaccine is going to be attacking ovaries or testicles. So it should not have any impact on fertility. And then recently there was another large study that showed the results of the registry of pregnant women that have received the vaccine. And they showed that there was no increase in miscarriages, no increase in birth defects, no increase in premature labor, and no increase in stillbirth in women who have taken the vaccines compared to women prior to COVID infection or COVID pandemic days that were pregnant. And
0: that's
1: important. You you want that reassurance, right, For, for women out there absolutely i've actually had several physician patients who have gotten pregnant and early on even before those studies were done they said you know we know that this is going to be something we have to take seriously and they got vaccinated so when i told some of my other pregnant patients hey i have some some colleagues or some patients who are doctors they got vaccinated just that reassurance that it's going to be okay the other key is consider if you get COVID and you wind up in the hospital and you're pregnant there's a lot of medications that might be needed to be used for you, and those are all experimental. So, you know, and they could potentially have more side effects than a vaccination. So there, there's that to consider as well. All right. Well,
0: uh, this is The Conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. You can join our discussion today. Uh, we're talking about uh, the Delta variant. We're talking about the vaccines. Uh, call in at one 941 3689 Stay with us. We'll be right back after a break.
2: Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Kahala Market by Foodland. Throughout August, featuring tastes from around the world at It's All Rice, showcasing local and global rice finds from near and far. More at kahalamkt.com. Each week, New Dimensions explores the social, political, scientific, environmental, and spiritual frontiers with some of today's foremost social innovators, thinkers, scientists, and creative artists.
3: Hi, I'm Dr. Laura Basha, and I'm the author of The Inward Outlook. Next time on New Dimensions, I'll be talking about the things we can't talk about.
2: Beginning Sunday morning at 11. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from the Honolulu Museum of Art, welcoming the community to enjoy the museum's galleries and outdoor courtyards until 9 p.m. on Friday and Saturday evenings. Admission tickets at honolulumuseum.org.
0: We're back with the conversation here on Hawaii Public Radio we do have a couple of a calls couple in of... the queue uh, let's go to Hilo Tom you have a question
2: Yes. good morning um, what surprises might we expect from the lambda variant that's coming up from Latin America
1: okay that's a great question Tom you know so far the lambda variant came originally identified I think in Peru and we haven't seen that it seems to have the same level of virulence yet. Uh, There's still not a lot of cases that have come about thus far, but scientists so far don't feel as though the Lambda variant is gonna be as as much of a game changer as the Delta variant has been. But that may not be the only variant. You know, the question that, that always comes up is, why do we even have variants? And the longer the virus is allowed to circulate, the greater the chances are of genetic mutations. Some of those mutations will lead to the virus being more infectious, like we've seen with Delta. Some of them might lead to the virus having more difficulty getting into the body. So it's sort of a reverse genetic mutation. So it doesn't become as infectious. Some of those mutations are going to lead to potentially the virus being able to escape any vaccination efforts we've had so far. So the real key is to try and avoid having more variants. And the way to avoid having more variants is to stop the infection as much as possible now and so that's where we're going to see hopefully that if we can all get on board not just here locally but we're talking nationally and internationally with really trying to cut down on the numbers of infections worldwide then we will start to see that potentially we can turn the curve here and see that there isn't going to be a a significant number of variants that have greater chance of infectivity or greater chance of avoiding and finding their ways around our current vaccination efforts. So it is a concern, but Lambda hasn't been as concerning as Delta. And we have no thought it's going to be the last variant. That is one of the concerns is, is the next one going to provide even more of a problem? And everybody's got their eyes on the prize, seeing what comes up. And the Department of Health is monitoring the different types of of infections that we have. I think currently right now there's 93% of all the infections are of the Delta variant. That was a statistic released from the Hawaii Department of Health in the last couple of days. So not so much worry about Lambda yet. Let's hope we don't have to.
0: All right, but thank you for that question, Tom. Uh, Let's go to Honolulu now. Hal, you have a question for uh, Dr. Kozak?
2: Uh, Yes, thank you so much for taking my call. My situation is I am fully vaccinated, but I have a roommate who i share a bathroom with that flats refuse to get the vaccination uh, i am considering either asking them to move out or moving out myself if that's necessary does the fact that they refuse to get the vaccination even though i am fully vaccinated jeopardize my health
1: well unfortunately that's a yes how because If you're around other people who are unvaccinated and they are out in the community and or going to gatherings, not wearing a mask, not following social distancing guidelines, they could bring the virus home. So your thoughts of either asking them to move out or you moving out are certainly something to consider. Uh, The way that I would approach it is, if, if you were in a situation where you were in a house and someone in the house was quarantining because of COVID, in that household and you couldn't leave then what you would do is make sure you're in the spaces in different times make sure you sanitized before and after you used any similar appliances and or rooms like the bathroom and make sure that you weren't in close distance with them and unfortunately wear a mask when you're home so those are some of the things that we would suggest that people do if another family member happened to be positive with covid and they were quarantining at home you're probably going to have to do all of those same things, even in a situation where you have a roommate, without even knowing if they have COVID or not. So taking those types of precautions could help keep you safe. And any other precautions you need to consider to protect yourself, you may just have to take a look at, because it is that important.
0: You know, I'm thinking, too, though, if, he's, if Hal is vaccinated, that, you know, at least he's got that defense um, where his roommate does not. So if he picks up uh, the, the virus, he could get seriously ill.
1: Well, the roommate could get ill. And then the mm-hmm. other question that comes up is, you know, the medical status of how. So we do see that after a certain number of months, the efficacy of the vaccination wanes a little bit. And if you are one of those folks who has a medical condition that could put you at additional risk, then even if you are fully vaccinated, you know, you have to be careful. And it's hard when people very close to you are not following the same guidelines and so that that does become a difficulty and I realize that's a struggle how and I, I wish you luck and we have another
0: call on the line Greg from Oahu
1: what's your question
0: hi Greg are you there
2: yes hi can you hear me okay yes oh, Aloha. thanks for taking the call uh, yeah, my question is in regards to the uh, booster shot going back to that topic I um, Is there anything or any options for people who got the Johnson & Johnson shot? And if there aren't, is it okay for them to go ahead and get the Moderna or Pfizer so that they can uh, have that option in the future?
1: Great question, Greg. Right now, they're studying the efficacy of the Johnson & Johnson shot and the longevity of that. And in fact, the J&J shot showed a lot of potential with the Delta variant. So that was actually a pretty positive finding from the study so far. There are some folks who might be recommended to get the Moderna or Pfizer shot, depending on their other medical conditions, so that if they do have one of those situations where they're immunocompromised or they have other medical conditions that put them at high risk, whether it be pulmonary conditions or heart conditions or some of the other things that could potentially make them have a higher risk if they were to get exposed, then there are some folks who are looking at getting cross-vaccinated, so vaccinated with a different type of vaccine there hasn't yet been any potential negative to doing so. You know, I suspect that we're probably going to wind up wanting to mix these vaccinations to try and boost the various angles at which the body can help protect itself from COVID if there was an exposure. In the UK early on, they actually were doing some mixing and matching because they actually needed to. They did an AstraZeneca shot and then they used a different shot subsequent to that. And they saw that 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 benefit was actually uh, something that was synergistic. It worked really well. Uh, So I don't think that right now there's not an official word on the J&J shot, but do be aware that it did offer very good protection against the Delta variant and that if there is going to be a booster shot for J&J, it may be J&J, but a great idea would be to mix that ability of the body to have various types of protection and consider that cross-vaccination. So there are ongoing studies right now to take a look at that.
0: And let's go back uh, to this issue of pregnant women and, um, and COVID. Uh, we have a call from Beth from Honolulu.
3: My name is Beth. I'm calling from Oahu. And uh, I had health syndrome when I was pregnant, which was a white blood cell issue. And um, one of the complications of some of the shots is people... Uh, do not produce, it affects their ability to make white blood cells. In fact, people have died of, of that after having the shot. So is there any data for that population of women who have had health syndrome and how they react to the vaccination?
0: Well, you know, we reached back out to Dr. Jean Lee, the uh, chief of maternal fetal medicine, uh, with this question. She told us that there are no obvious reports of the COVID-19 vaccines impacting white blood cells, but she recommends a personal consultation with a maternal-fetal medicine specialist to address your specific concerns. And she reminds listeners that the CDC, the American College of uh, Obstetricians and Gynecologists, and the Society for Maternal-Fetal Medicine... Uh, They are recommending that all people who are pregnant get vaccinated. But Dr. Kozak, for listeners who might not be familiar with this syndrome that Beth is talking about...
1: Yeah, it's actually a pretty rare situation. Uh, This particular problem, hemolysis elevated liver enzymes and low platelets, it happens in pregnancies and that sort of uh, affects more of the red blood cells and the platelets as opposed to affecting white blood cells. Uh, But this and other high-risk pregnancy conditions, these are going to happen in people who will likely have to be hospitalized regardless of their COVID-19 status. So, you know, it's extra important that we keep our hospitals open so that they have availability to take care of some of these high-risk pregnancy patients. And in particular, that means that we have to keep the COVID rates down so that the pregnant women don't get infected with COVID and those who have other high-risk conditions have a safe place in the hospital that they can get their care.
0: I was touched. I was reading a story in the paper uh, of a pregnant woman who didn't get vaccinated. Uh, She delivered her child, um, but she was only able to take two pictures with the newborn, one with you know, she had a mask on, another
1: picture without the mask. And then they said the mom died the day the day after. It was just heartbreaking. Tragic, just truly tragic. And in a lot of cases, you know, some of these situations could be prevented. And it's certainly not to say that everyone could be. But a lot of these deaths could could be prevented and now that we have vaccination available we know that it's effective we know that it's helping to keep people from getting severe cases of covid if they've previously been vaccinated we're not seeing high rates of vaccinated people in the hospital there is an opportunity for people who truly want to protect themselves to get vaccinated. And, you know, I have talked to some patients in my own practice recently, and some of the things that changed their mind, one of my patients said, their daughter started going to school and they knew there'd be a high risk of exposure. And they, as a father, did not want to get vaccinated yet, but once the daughters went to school and talked about their day and their exposures, and -and so-and-so has a friend whose family member has whatever, he said, I've got to do this for my kids. So he went and got vaccinated. And, you know, I had another patient who said their goal was never to be in the hospital. They didn't want to be on ventilators. They don't want to be in the hospital. And they looked at the statistics that today show over 90% of the hospitalized cases are in unvaccinated. And that's what changed their mind. They said, I don't want to be in the hospital. I'm going to get vaccinated. And so... There's no judgment. If you haven't gotten vaccinated yet, please feel free to contact the local pharmacy or contact your provider to find out where you could do that. It's not a matter of why did you wait so long? It's a matter of there's still great protection available, and let's add you to the list of the vaccinated so that you too can be protected. You know, during this
0: pandemic, I've had a couple of neighbors who were expecting and. Um Uh, You know, they ended up getting vaccinated, and they delivered healthy babies, and and I'm just so pleased to see them outside walking, you know, with the babies in their sling, in the backpacks, um, just, you know, knowing that, um, you know, they can
1: enjoy their children and their children will hope, will hopefully also be okay. We know that there's a significant risk if you have medical conditions that if you got exposed or if you're around other family members that that could really have an impact for you. So, for those for those families who want to grow and who want to see their children have long healthy lives, you know, doing something now that could truly protect them and their family and not just the immediate family with the newborn baby, but also the siblings and the grandparents and everybody we have a chance to do something about this and you know about a year ago we didn't have vaccination available and all we had were wearing masks and social distancing and hoping that it wouldn't spread and now we have a remedy so we've all waited for the vaccine and now that it's here i really want to make sure that as many people as possible can get vaccinated so that we can start to see things turn here in hawaii and start to see fewer hospitalizations and see folks get back to hopefully a relatively normal existence and, you know, uh, some
0: of the, the uh, uh, patients uh, or some of the, the people out there uh, may have some hesitation with the vaccines, you know, because they say it's experimental. We don't have the full approval yet. Uh, Dr. Menjean Lee had mentioned that, uh, and you had mentioned this too, Dr. Kozak, that some of the drugs that we use to treat people who are ill with COVID, particularly pregnant women, some of those drugs are experimental. Here's what Dr. Lee had to say.
3: Some of these other medications that we've had to create to treat COVID infection, like the Regeneron monoclonal antibodies or some of the antiviral medications like remdesivir, these are all relatively new medications. And so if you're gonna take one of those, you might as well take the vaccine so that you don't have to take another two kinds of new medicines.
1: So, Dr. Kozak, what do you think? Well, I would agree. I think, you know, there's a lot of new medicines that have been developed or repurposed. So there were some thoughts that there were some medicines used for other conditions that might help people with COVID. And what we're seeing so far is there really is no magic bullet. We don't have a treatment that if you take this will help to treat COVID and keep you from getting significantly sick. So although there are a lot of efforts to try and find different antibodies, or they were using plasma, or there's been a variety of different things like remdesivir and all these other types of biologic treatments, the monoclonal antibodies, we are just not really seeing any one particular medicine be a game changer yet. And so often it's a combination of two or three different medicines. And that also can be a risk because some of these medications may cross through the placenta and therefore expose pregnant women and their potential future children, to some side effects we don't even know about because it's never been tested in that situation.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, we're hearing about the it was the malaria drug, the deworming drug, and, and some other uh, countries are using some of these um, because maybe they don't have the vaccine.
1: Well, and each time that they've done some bigger studies on those drugs, they have found that they really don't have the efficacy that initially was thought. So taking some of the medications that really haven't been proven to be successful is a risk in and of itself. For countries that have no other option, who don't have any vaccine available, it's it hasn't been proven to help, but it, if it helps people to feel as though they should take this seriously and socially distance and wear masks and wash hands and do all those sorts of things, it's all they have. We here on Oahu have, and throughout the islands, have a lot of potential ability to prevent this with vaccination. So we are in a different position, and hopefully people will seriously consider that. And a question from John from Honolulu. How do we battle disinformation
0: about unproven COVID treatments? Uh, You know, he, he talks about ivermectin,
1: well, I think the biggest issue is to make sure you know where you're getting your information from. You know, I've, I have I often challenge patients who say they found something on the internet, and I say, print it out, bring it in, or write down what the source is. Because there's some really good medical websites, Mayo Clinic, John Hopkins, CDC, Department of Health. These are places that provide really helpful medical information. But getting something from Facebook or from your friend who heard from somebody else is probably not your best source of medical information. So. Talk to your doctor, talk to uh, talk to folks who you know have access to better resources. It's it's really important that you make sure you know what you're hearing and know what the story is behind it. Headlines are just that. That's not the full story. So be careful what your sources are and try and go to reputable medical centers. The New England Journal of Medicine has fabulous information, but it's often a little hard to read. But that that would be the type of location I would say to go to. When you're looking to get information on some of these new treatments or even information about vaccine efficacy. And, uh, you know, there are many uh, listeners who uh, called in and uh,
0: recorded their positions on uh, whether or not to get the vaccines. Uh, here's one from Sophie.
2: My name is Sophie Anada Rowan, and I have called to say absolutely not, the job should not be mandated. Everyone has got free choice. Should have free choice at all times. What goes into their bodies? So no, absolutely no.
0: So this is uh, uh, opposing mandates for vaccines. Because as we've seen in the last couple of weeks, uh, the governors come out uh, with a, uh, you know with orders on the state workers. The mayors have all come out with. Uh, a, n- a number of uh, policies and the same with the hospitals. Uh, we're seeing a lot of uh, private businesses now stepping up saying, um, you know, we want our, our uh, workers to uh, show some proof of vaccines or they get tested I and mean, they are giving them options. Um, but what are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, if it only affected that individual, then I'd be a little bit more in support. But uh, the fact is that if, if somebody gets infected with COVID, and then spreads that infection. We're increasing the potential variants that may happen in the community or throughout the world. But we're also, there's other innocent people who didn't ask to have COVID put in their body. And if somebody who chooses not to get vaccinated gets sick and doesn't stay home for those 10 days, then they may spread it to other people who never wanted to have that happen. And we do know that there are some folks who, despite vaccination, when we say 95% effective, 5% of people may not have that protection. So, you know, to answer Sophie's thought, if if it only affected you, Sophie, then I, I could see your point. But. It's affecting the whole community and it's affecting innocent people. It's affecting folks who who don't want to have COVID virus spread to them. And then there are some consequences that are not just in our local community, but throughout our nation and worldwide. And that's where we really have to all work together to try and find a way to end this pandemic. Uh, You know, if you look back at other types of infections, polio was eradicated because the whole world came together and said, we want to eradicate polio and not let young, innocent children get infected and have serious paralysis lifelong. Other types of things like smallpox have been eradicated because there's a worldwide effort. This is our generation's requirement to step up for this worldwide effort. And it's, that's why I never had to get a, a smallpox shot because by the time I was born, the shots weren't needed. And that's because everybody before me took care of that. So this is our generation's challenge. We are just coming up on the uh, top of the hour.
0: Uh, last call for listeners who may want uh, to join our conversation here with Dr. Kozak. Uh, that number, 941-3689 on Oahu or one 941 3689 on the neighbor islands. You know, Dr. Kozak, uh, early on in this pandemic, there was the concern about uh, ventilators that we didn't have enough and uh, you know, I have to hand it to a number of uh, companies, individuals who are coming up with ideas to make ventilators uh, just to uh, make sure we had enough on hand. Uh, what can you tell us about
1: uh, being put on a vent- ventilator in a worst case scenario? You know, What does that mean? Yeah, it's not something you wanna do. So when we were all in medical training, we learned how to put someone on a ventilator. So if you can't ox- get enough oxygen for your own body's needs, then you will have a tube that will be inserted into your airway, into your lungs that will help to provide you the oxygen that you need. The problem is that in order to put that tube in, you have to be paralyzed and then you have a machine breathing for you. And if you're awake during that process, it is very uncomfortable because you have something else that is putting air in your lungs and breathing in and out for you and it's it's not something you can control. If you, are, if you do wake up on a ventilator, often people panic and they get a claustrophobia feeling because they can't breathe on their own. It's not a comfortable situation. And for a lot of folks who are put on ventilators with COVID, we're seeing that it's very difficult for their body to recover and have them get off of the ventilator. And that means that we're not seeing that this is an easy process for their body to heal and recover. It is a last resort. And you don't. You, if you can avoid it at all possible, you should try and avoid it. And I've heard that yeah, it,
0: it's not good to be on a ventilator for a very long time, that it does... Um,
1: just... There's long-term effects on yeah. the body, absolutely. There's atrophy of your respiratory muscles because you're not actively using them. And it can damage parts of your body. There's pneumonia you can get from just being on a ventilator and having a plastic tube in your airway. There's there's other consequences of being in bed for a long period of time and being paralyzed. And there's different types of sores that can occur in the body, et cetera. So, you know, if at all possible, don't be in the hospital for a long period of time. The recovery is very difficult. And we are seeing that the average length of stay for COVID patients is... Four weeks versus four days for most other medical conditions. It is a long haul, literally. And we have a question coming in from Kailua Evan.
0: Uh, he wants to know about testing on the island. Oh,
1: He thinks we're, maybe we're not doing enough. Uh, he's been living on the mainland. Well, it's an interesting question. There's some new technologies that are trying to develop home kits and testing at home, in addition to the fact that the state has offered a lot of sites for testing. But I would please implore people if they go to some of the free testing sites to wear a mask and socially distance, because there are some pictures that I've seen of large crowds of people together waiting to get tested. And I'm like, well, if you weren't positive before you showed up, don't get hmm. positive in the line to get tested. Um, I do think that there's, there's an element of surveillance testing, and that's something that we really haven't done a lot of. But it's just because we're trying our best to keep up with dealing with the infections that we're seeing. Yeah, so at this point, uh, you know, we've got enough
0: of uh, the PPE. We've got um, tests. We've got uh, vaccines now. And, uh, you know, we just need people to do their part and help us uh, get through this. You know, our healthcare systems are strained. Our healthcare workers are tired. Uh, we've got help coming. Uh, we've got we've seen some nurses, traveling nurses, come to the neighbor islands. There'll be more uh, next week uh, here on Oahu. We will get some uh, to help our nurses who are
1: just exhausted, just exhausted. So yeah, state's overburdened right now. It really is. This is, the, this is the time. We were hoping we wouldn't hit this with the pandemic and having the overwhelm of the medical system. And we're at that point now. So this is, this is really crisis mode. And I do thank all of the nurses who have gone way beyond and all of the physicians and first responders who have done their absolute best to try and keep everyone safe. Now it's our turn to do the same. And we want to end
0: with um, something that Dr. Uh, Libby Char, state health director, said a week ago, that uh, each of us has a responsibility to protect ourselves against COVID-19.
3: Today, I'm asking you to prepare like you would for a hurricane or other natural disaster. What's your COVID plan? Where will you isolate if you test positive? Who will help take care of your family members or your kids if you're sick? Who will help you get groceries? Think about this. Make your plan now. Make agreements with your friends and neighbors, especially those who are vaccinated, and you should get vaccinated too so that you can help when they need you take every step to protect yourself. We have tools to end this, and this crisis will not change until we do. Final thoughts.
1: Really important. Honestly, people like how, what does he do? He has a roommate who doesn't want to be vaccinated. He has to come up with a plan if he were to get exposed. And all of us need to consider that if I came home with COVID, uh, my family members have to know exactly what to do because I can't leave for 10 days and hopefully we'll be able to recover at home. So get a plan. And, you know, uh, I think people are are
0: concerned if I am vaccinated or I'm not vaccinated, you know, uh, and you are exposed to a positive case, um, you know, what should they do?
1: Well, there are some current guidelines that suggest if you're vaccinated with no symptoms, test three to five days later, make sure you're okay. If you're unvaccinated, test and test again, because you want to make sure that you don't expose anybody else to this, and you would have to quarantine for a full 10 days. Yeah, and uh, uh,
0: any other questions that people have, they can go to the CDC website, uh, Department of Health website, uh, you know, uh, go to websites that you know you can trust the information. And talk to your providers. All right. Well, we would like to thank Dr. Kathleen Kozak for sharing her insight over the last hour. We would like to thank you, the listener, for joining us on today's show. What did you think about today's show? Call our talk back line, 808-792-8217. Send us an email at talkback at org. And if you want to listen back, check out the conversation podcast at hoypublicradio.org. Our program is produced by Savannah Harriman-Pote, Russell SubiONO, and Lillian Song. And safe travels to our intern, Matt Fairfax, who returns to Syracuse University next week. Our theme music courtesy of Gypsy 808. I'm Catherine Cruz. Join us on Monday and pick up the conversation.